If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. My name is Rob Gorski, and you're listening to the Autism Dad Podcast. Um, I hope that you guys are doing well. Uh, I hope that everyone in your world is is safe and healthy and and you're, you're managing during this COVID-19 crisis as, as best you can. Um, I wanted to bring someone on today who can help us emotionally deal with everything that's going on. And so my guest is Dr. Lori Nadell. Uh, Dr. Nadell is the author of the book, The Five Gifts, and is a disaster stress expert. Um, we as a society have never experienced anything like COVID-19 before in, in our current lifetimes. Uh, people are scared, myself included. Many of us are dealing with with very high levels of stress. Uh, we're irritable. We're not sleeping. We're not eating well. We're not taking care of ourselves. Uh, Dr. Nadell is uniquely qualified to help us sort of find the calm in the crisis or the calm in the storm. Um, she helped with first responders after 9-11 and teens who lost fathers in the Twin Towers, as well as teachers and students in the aftermath of the Parkland school shooting. Her book, The Five Gifts, is like an emergency go kit for the mind, and it helps to minimize and prevent long-term uh, damage from traumatic events. I don't know th- that everyone realizes just how traumatic, how, how impactful the current events that we're dealing with can be. So I'm very glad uh, Dr. Nadell is is on the pod with us today so that we can talk about that and, and help you guys to better manage, help myself to better manage, learn some tips and tricks, uh, talk about her book, and and see if we can do better as we move forward. So I will have Dr. Nadell on the pod right after this quick commercial break. So please stay tuned. I'll be right back. You don't want to miss this. And we're back. Uh, and today I have Dr. Lori on the show today. Uh, she is, among other things, a disaster stress expert, uh, which considering everything that we're going through with the COVID-19 lockdown and, and what everybody is experiencing, um, she's uniquely qualified to to kind of help us navigate that. Uh, thank you for taking the time to come on and, and talk to us. Thank you, Rob. It's my pleasure. Um, could you sort of take a, a minute and just kind of talk a little bit about what you do and, and how you... Uh, help people deal with traumatic events? Well, there there are um, all kinds of traumatic events, as you know. It could be a near miss on the highway. You know, you're on your way to work and uh, you see an almost accident or you just miss one yourself. Um, It can be something like COVID-19 where the danger of the threat uh, is is potentially life-threatening. 
Um, you could be working on the job, you could be um, experiencing direct exposure because you either survived or witnessed or somebody close to you has gone through um, a traumatic event. And when we're talking about trauma, we're not talking about a bad hair day. You know, you have a fight with your kid and it's upsetting and the kid, you know, curses and screams and shuts the door. I'm a single mom. Uh, my kid always fought with me when it was time to leave for school when she was in high school. And uh, as upsetting as that was, uh, it wasn't traumatic because trauma means life and death. It means when you are exposed to, you've survived or you've witnessed or someone close to you has gone through a direct encounter with an unexpected life and death event. And it fills you with a sense of horror and helplessness. You know, you're, you're a first responder. You see um, devastating accidents, you know, every day on the job. Um, you go to rescue a kid. And uh, you, you can't, the kid dies in your arms or you can't rescue the kid. These events are particularly stressful and heartrending for anybody who works in the uh, medical field, the health field, or the first responder field. Um, and when you're seeing for people today who are working in the front lines, who are just helpless to prevent the massive number of deaths, uh, we've never experienced a mass fatality event like this on our soil, unlike people in other countries who deal with natural disasters and wars and famines um, on a continual basis. And so this is, um, this, is a, this, this is knocking out our sense of what quote unquote normal is. And even for somebody like yourself who is a first responder, you know that the waves of uh, death and uh, the waves of people who were suddenly rendered extremely sick because of this illness, um, that's causing our society, our, our entire society, but especially the, uh, the the emergency health sector to go into a state of shock. And so my job is to a um, provide information about what the symptoms of acute stress and shock are like. And to reassure, you know, anybody, whether it's a, a parent like yourself, a single parent, you know, like like both of us are, or to uh, reassure your kids, or to reassure anyone you know, any colleagues you might have who are first responders, uh, responders, um, I think it's really important to understand that these reactions are normal, and that you are a normal person having normal reactions to an abnormal situation. And then there are specific things that you can. Um, there are specific things that you can do that uh, can help you to take care of yourself when you're experiencing these surges of acute stress hormones. I, you know, is 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 you're talking about this. Um, a lot of people don't know. I was I was a fire medic for a long time, uh, and I was a medic. Um, when 9-11 happened and we were on standby in Ohio to go to New York is like backup and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I, that I have struggled with since I've been out of that is a lot of the stuff that you see never leaves you, right? Like, like, like I can't unsee a lot of the things that I, that I saw that, that happened to patients, especially kids. And, and even, even some of the things that, um, adults, um, experienced, you know, I mean, I, I've had people give me their last words in the back of an ambulance, you know, and that's, that, that has profoundly impacted my life. Like I, I, I live life differently as a result of that experience. And it's hard, it's, it's hard for, for first responders to talk about it because it's not something that's easy to articulate. To, to people who haven't experienced something like that. And, and I, I, I mentioned this before the show that I, I am, I'm very grateful for what you do because you give, you give these, these heroes, you give them a, you give them a, a way to, to, to sort of unburden that, to, to unload it in a healthier way. And, and I just, I, that means a lot to me as a, as a person. And I, and I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. I would just like to mention that um, in my book, The Five Gifts, Discovering 
hope, healing, and strength when disaster strikes. I, um, I, I have a chapter on first responders and what we as civilians can learn from for the, the culture of first responders in how to face and process disturbing events where involve loss of life. And there is an organization called the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. It's ICIS for Sam F, ICISF at dot org. And they have pioneered uh, a process called critical incident stress management, where uh, it's mostly peer uh, counseling and support. When somebody, uh, a fire, fire crew, when a team comes back from a disturbing call, usually when there's been a pediatric death or a child has been, a child has died or there's been a severe, like a fireworks uh, injury, um, where the, it, it's, you can't get the images out of your head. Um, I, I would be called in as part of the team to um, help everybody process uh, the images that remain, the, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the sensations, what, what, what stays with you after the call, and to help give you information on what to watch for in terms of your physical and emotional um, signs of, uh, of, of uh, what we call it acute stress or post-trauma reactions or uh, traumatic stress because it's not, you know, this isn't everyday stress. This isn't like, oh, your cable bill is due and, you know, you haven't got your stimulus check yet. This isn't even a parenting crisis where your kid has a fever and you're, nowadays, if your kid has a fever, of course, we panic because we think it might be a coronavirus. But, you know, this, these are not normal, quote unquote, emergencies. Uh, these are situations where you've been called in professionally to help save lives. And for whatever reasons, uh, you, you weren't able to, uh, to do what, you, what you're professionally trained to do. And, uh, and it stays with you. And we want, we want to be able to, the critical incident stress management process is designed to give you some tools so that it doesn't, it, you know, you don't pr pr push it down and then it ends up festering and it ends up leading to withdrawal from people, isolation, substance abuse, depression, and, uh, and, and even puts you at higher risk for suicide. So talking about it and knowing that it doesn't make us weak, and this is true for civilians as well, you know, it doesn't make you weak if you're disturbed by what's going on. It makes you human. And this is actually a natural and appropriate and healthy response. I had, uh, I've never really talked about any of this stuff, but like I, I had one of the, one of the things that I had been on a run that had stuck with me, um, was there, I took an older gentleman into the hospital who had been fighting with his wife because she was worried about him. Uh, he thought he was fine. She wanted him to go get checked out. And then we aired on a side of caution and took him into the hospital. He, uh, died in the back of the ambulance. He went from okay to not okay in minutes you know, and, and the last thing that he said to me was, you know, tell my wife that I'm sorry and that I love her. And I have never been able to get that out of my head. <laughs> it's, it's, um, and, and so it's impacted my life in the sense that I will never walk away. Like I'll never leave somebody on bad terms. Like I, I can't, right. I, I, you know, so, so that is one of the ways that it has, has impacted me, uh, in, in kind of a, it creates problems, I think, sometimes for people because sometimes you have to walk away from arguments or whatever. Right. Uh, I have found that I have to resolve it before I can walk away because right. I'm so afraid that something's going to happen and that will be the last thing that they experience uh, in relation to me. And I, I just so I, 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 I get it, and I, um, I'm going to check out that that website, I, I wrote it down here and I'll put the link in the description so that everybody who oh. could benefit from that might be able to, to check that out. Um, Excellent. It's really important to know that the resources uh, specifically for first responders uh, exist. And of course, we civilians can certainly de you know benefit from that. And um, if you do go to my website, which is lauriemaydell.com, uh, there's an article on emotional survival a couple of videos where I demonstrate emotional first aid tools that work within seconds 
to lower stress levels. And um, there's also an offer, which I extend to your listeners. Uh, I'm offering complimentary uh, 15, uh, complimentary 15 minute sessions for any of your listeners uh, who are going through extreme stress right now or who just need some support because COVID-19 is a, is a traumatic event in that it, it's a, it's a life threatening event. Uh, the perpetrator is invisible. It's amorphous. Uh, we don't know exactly, uh, when it started. You don't know exactly where you picked it up, where you try not to pick it up, but you know, we don't know, you know, you can disinfect everything in your life. You can live in a bubble, but you know, do we really know, um, you know, what, what might, you know, cause a, a microbe, a microbe of, of a pathogen to come in through a screen door or something. Maybe it gets blown on, you know, we don't really know. Uh, so it's like an invisible kind of, there's a sense of dread and there's this invisible threat, this feeling, this, this ominous feeling that, um, that there's something lurking that could take our lives at any time. And it, put, it, it gives us a sense of uncertainty, which our culture is not prepared for. Um, in the five gifts, I talk to people from a lot of different uh, countries and spiritual traditions where they've had to deal with long periods of adversity, where they've had to deal with tsunamis or the genocide in Rwanda. My friend was an ambulance driver in Rwanda during the genocide. And he talks about um, having to um, having to give forgiveness, um, uh, calls for forgiveness and reconciliation on television so that the, the tribe that was that was killing people with machetes would come in for forgiveness and justice. But, um, you know, the, the, these massive events uh, really require that we have these five gifts, which are humility. And humility helps us to come to terms with things that we don't understand, uh, forces greater than we are. Uh, there's uh, patience. And patience is going to be a very big one now. Uh, people are already getting impatient with lockdown. You know, people, they want to go to the beach. They, it's, it's, you know, Memorial Day. They want to go to picnics. Uh, they don't want to be stuck inside. And uh, patience is the gift that it's really the unbearable gift. It's the gift that we don't want, but it's the one that we need the most because we have to, it's going to help us endure suffering that goes on longer than we think it should. Empathy is the gift that we see now that's like it's the all the messaging and all the ads that we see on television it's all about empathy which is the feel-good gift and you as first responders you, you're what i call empathy warriors you know you go into combat every day and your sole weapon that you have in addition to your skills is empathy your concern for the suffering of other people now the problem is that you know the, the cameras leave after a certain period and the suffering goes on and it can take several years to recover emotionally from an event like this or from an event uh, like 9-11 or a house fire or car accident. You know, these these life and death events can cause us to be um, to have to endure long periods of, of um, anxiety and depression and flashbacks and you know, all of the post trauma reactions. So we really need empathy for the long haul. You know, very often people will come to see me, and I would say most of my work really picks up for people after the first anniversary, when they're still having uh, difficulty sleeping, when they're starting to have nightmares, you know, when the deeper material that, that makes them feel vulnerable starts to come up. So this is not something that you know, is going to go away psychologically for us as a people or for us as parents anytime soon. And so we need empathy, and especially empathy for our kids over the long haul. And the fourth gift is forgiveness, which is forgiving ourselves, because uh, if our kids get sick or we get sick, you know, we did everything that we could, but there are things in life that we can't prevent. And we very often, we ever often blame ourselves as though if only I had done this or if only I had done that. Uh, so forgiving ourselves is very important. And ultimately growth is when we look back and we say, you know, I really wish I'd never gone through this and I would never wish it on anyone else. But if I hadn't gone through this, I wouldn't have learned 
all those things that I've needed to learn. And I wouldn't be who I am today. So those are the five gifts that will get us through COVID-19. And we, we can learn from first responders. We can learn from people who've lived through catastrophes and wars and, uh, and other forms of suffering. And uh, we can learn from different spiritual traditions and indigenous people around the world. How do you get through? How do you endure a long period of hardship? We've never had to learn that until now. I, I, I actually intend on reading reading your book because I I, uh, I downloaded it on I got it on Amazon on Kindle last night Thank you. Uh, and I and I haven't had a chance to with just life and everything right now but I, I I personally need that in my life at the moment because I'm you know I have I'm a single dad to three uh, autistic kids and my oldest is medically fragile and I'm so sorry oh thank you it, it, I mean like we're, we're doing okay it's 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 everybody's healthy right now it's challenging um but it is it's very hard to express how stressful it is right i mean mm-hmm. i feel like i have to do everything right the first time because if something happens it's on my watch you know it's it's right. i screwed up or i let my kids down and someone got sick and we've been on lockdown for 46 days at the time that we're mm-hmm. recording this and I'm terrified at the fact that Ohio is going to start reopening and yeah. you have, you have all these people who, you know, and I guess that I wanted to ask you about that. There's a lot of people who, who don't seem to be taking this seriously, who, who just keep comparing it to the flu or a cold or that we're overreacting by locking down. Um, you know, if you're, I just had someone tell me just today on Twitter, like if, if you are so worried about your son, just don't leave the house, but we shouldn't all have to be locked down. And I, and I guess I just wonder what is the difference in mindset? Like, like, I don't, I don't think people are just inherently malicious, but is it just, are they kind of in denial about it or is it just a misinformation or. Well, I think people are definitely in denial. And as I said, you know, we're, we're a very impatient society. And um, we don't like restrictions. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, as an observer, and I know that it's affected me in uh, a lot of different ways, uh, is that the, the restrictions on our freedom of movement, uh, we as a, you know, if you think about the myth of America, and it's all about, you know, um, going into territory, you know, breaking through places where there are no roads, um, you know, taking your SUV to the top of the mountain and taking off your suit and tie and, you know, going kayaking. Uh, why people kayak on top of mountains, I don't know. But um, <laughs> it helps to stay, helps sell SUVs, you know. Yeah. So it's, that, it's, the, it's the collective myth of freedom and freedom to go wherever we want to go. And, uh, you know, this is a freedom of movement that's an unwritten right in the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution, but it's an unwritten right that we take for granted. And now in lockdown, we're being told, um, you know, we're taking that right away from you. You do not have freedom to move wherever you want because we have a contagion situation here. Mm -hmm. And we don't want you or other people to catch this illness because it could kill you. And a lot of people can't really grasp that because um, unless they're directly affected by it, it's what we have. We have, and I say we collectively, I think as a society, have gotten used to turning on our screens in the morning and the news comes on. And the first thing that you see, it's, uh, there was the volcano in uh, Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an earthquake in Chile. Uh, there were 17 people trapped in a mine in Thailand. Uh, there's a building that fell down. There are firefighters trapped you know, in a fire. Uh, there's a kitten that drowned. There's, you know, and we just see disaster after disaster after disaster. Now, I spent the first 20 years of my career working in what really is called um, a hard news factory. Is really what it is, where we got we got pictures from all over the world, primarily of disasters, and we would just grind out these stories for the different stations around the country and around the world to use. So we would just grind out, you know, 15 people were killed today in a bomb in a Beirut shopping center. 
um, you know, now turning to Italy, you know, here, this was the scene when the volcano destroyed 3,000 homes. And you would just, I, I would just process as many as 100 of those stories in a shift. And somewhere, you know, after 20 years in the news business, I came to realize that people whose lives were shattered by these kinds of sudden violent events would need some kind of special long-term support. And near the end of my time in the news business, I remember looking up and there, were, it, there, was, there was no internet. I mean, it was, it was uh, I call it the BI era, the before <laughs> internet era. And so we would get, you know, satellite feeds and, you know, line feeds and, you know, um, people would send, uh, you know, boxes with videotapes by air courier and you'd be sitting in a room and you'd be looking at the walls would be filled with TV screens and you would be looking sometimes at, you know, disasters coming in from like 20 different countries and it would just be chaos and devastation and bodies. And, and I looked one day, I looked up and, and everything around me got very quiet and I had this, this thought, which is, is this what God sees when God looks at us? When God looks at, at, at this planet, when God looks at his creation, does God see what we see when we, when we look, you know, when we turn on the news, when we look at, you know, when we, when we see television or when, if we could sit, you know, if we, if we could sit in God's control room, is this what God would see? And, and that kind of, that, that spiritually woke me up to want to go back to school in my forties and change careers with a focus on helping people whose lives had been shattered uh, by these sudden terrible losses. Wow. And so I think what, what I've noticed, firstly from 20 years in the business, but now with the explosion of our exposure to you know, news coming at us all the time, is we're an impatient culture. I can't say that enough um, because we just take it for granted that if something isn't pleasant or fun, you just swipe it away. You change the channel. You go to a cat video, you look at your sports scores, you go shopping, you know, you, you go to your kid's Facebook page or Instagram page or whatever. But when it happens to us, we can't swipe it away and we can't change the channel. And we don't have generations of adults and grandparents and elders who have lived through something like this pandemic. So it's not like we're living in India or Pakistan or Peru, or someplace where hardship is, is a part of existence. And we parents teach their children. And I think this is really important that parents in other parts of the world teach their children that in any lifetime, there will be periods of prosperity and periods of famine. Now in New York State, Governor Cuomo first mentioned the term food rationing yesterday as a possibility. We in this country, we've never lived with food rationing. You know, this is talking about impatience, um, food rationing. Um, we can learn from parents from other countries who teach their children. And I wish somebody had taught me that in any lifetime, there are cycles of peace and cycles of war and cycles of prosperity and cycles of recession and cycles of hardship and cycles of, of fun and pleasure. And that life isn't all about fun, you know, happiness isn't just about having fun and things being pleasurable. We have to learn how to get through this without becoming bitter and without becoming depressed and by keeping our heart connections open and by, by making sure that, that our children know that getting through this together as a team and as a family is, is how we'll grow together and how we can find uh, moments of happiness, no matter what's going on in the outer world, and, and to keep reinforcing the importance of relationships and family and connections. And that way, we can't change the channel, but we can grow through this and become stronger, as, as Hemingway says, stronger in the broken places. I like that. I, I guess I never thought about it. I never thought about it like that. And in, in, in your analogy of the, the, the TV screens and that's, that's kind of a very powerful um, way to illustrate that. I, I guess I'd never thought about it like that, but I can act now. I can't not see it like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it, it is, you just wonder like he, 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 there's just hundreds of screens and just everything yeah. that's happening in his, 
and it's uh and it does seem like a lot of the negative stuff is what gets highlighted right. more than the, the positive things and you know and right now I, w- I was talking with someone the other day and like I trying to shield my kids from some of this information is proven to be very difficult right. because with, without a media blackout in our house or cutting off right. the internet, it's, it's YouTube, it's apps that pop right. up, you know, ads that pop up in games, right. Um, right. commercials on TV. I mean, it's, it's everywhere as a parent. How can we even begin to go about comforting our kids during this, this time and, and, and reassure them, you know, that this isn't forever uh, and, and try and limit maybe the long-term effects that this may, may have? Well, I, I think that's an awesome question. Um, and I think um, there are a couple of things. Uh, firstly, you know, we can take a, a kind of page, if you will, or a tip from the critical incident process itself, uh, where you could have a meeting with your kids and all parents. You know, we could sit down with our kids Maybe one, you know, maybe once a day, maybe every other day, not to make it, you know, kind of like a, a another thing on their to do list, and ask them, you know, well, you know, what have you, what have you been seeing, what have, you know, what, what, you know, has the, is the news getting to you, and ask them, you know, what, what specifically, you know, what stays with you today about the news, and maybe there's an uplifting story, maybe they saw a story about, you know, a kid who jumped rope for a hundred hours and raised, you know. Uh, $50,000 for face masks. I mean, there's a lot of uplifting, there's a lot of really uplifting human interest and inspirational stories that are getting a lot of coverage today. Mm-hmm. Um, NBC News, they end every evening newscast with an inspiring story. And I think that, you know, that's there, there's a lot of stuff that kids can focus on so that they don't see that it's all gloom and doom. Um, so one thing is, you know, to get them talking about uh, what in the news has affected them, uh, what stays with them, and, um, you know, wh- what to keep an eye out for an uplifting story every day. Another thing that you can do with, with, uh, with kids, uh, which I, I think I hope that I was able to do with my kid, was um, to talk about how in life, uh, in nature, everything goes in cycles. And, you know, the, the cycles, you know, there's a rainy season, there's a dry season. There's a winter season, there's a spring season, and that even you know during this season of illness, that there will be a season of healing and recovery, because that those are the laws of nature, and that you know that, and that's really important so that they don't feel, uh, or they so that children don't feel as personally threatened by the uncertainty. The other thing, of course, is to introduce our kids to the idea that life is uncertain. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we, we, we can plan and we can schedule and we can stick to our routines and that that's a very healthy and productive thing to do, but that life can always throw us a curve. And that's not because you did anything wrong. It's just that's the nature of life. You know, that's another thing that when you live in a third world country or even I remember I, I was on a, a magazine assignment in, uh, in Europe a few years ago and there was a thunderstorm. And it hit uh, England and it hit France and it threw all the air, it flew all the flight schedules off uh, by three to six hours. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't get out of, I couldn't get out of an airport in Paris because all the streets were flooded. And by the time I was able to get back to London that night, it was after all the public transportation had shut down. And I was thinking, you know, you think that, you know, you're going to fly from London to Paris. It's the 21st century. Um, you're going to get it on a plane. You're going to fly for an hour and you're going to do your, your, your interview. You're going to get on a plane and you're going to go back and you'll be having dinner with your friends. You know, we, we don't, we're not used to that kind of disruption. And yet the combination of these severe weather events and uh, uh, wildfires and now, you know, the, the, this pandemic, uh, we're having to readjust our thinking to, to take into account the possibility that our normal routines will or can be disrupted. That you might not be getting up and going to work or going to school at the regular time Mm -hmm. because there's a larger than life event that has disrupted the normal flow of our day-to-day life. And I think that that's an important teaching for kids, especially since we are living in a turbulent time. 
You know, there's there's a lot of misinformation out there as well. And I, and I think I was sitting here thinking about this. If, if I sit down and I have a conversation with my kids about everything, the COVID-19 related and whatever, I wonder how much of what they would tell me would be based on fact versus what is conspiracy or, you know, mm-hmm. kind of blown up to make people freak out or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And that would be an opportunity to sort of correct some of that misinformation because a lot of times it might seem worse to them than what it maybe really is. Um, mm-hmm. And it gives you, a, you know, talking to your kids would give you a chance to sort of correct that and make sure that everything is um, there. So they're not worrying unnecessarily, I guess that would be a good. Right. Um, what would be some of the signs that parents should watch out for uh, that their kids are maybe in extreme levels of distress? Well, I, you know, it's it's difficult now because kids tend to spend a lot of time online. So it's hard to tell when kids are isolating. But, um, you know, that's that's the number one key, especially with teenagers, when they, they shut you out. They don't want to talk at all. Uh, of course, now it's hard because you're, you're not going to see them playing with their friends because everybody's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, they're playing video games remotely. So, um, but that's the thing to, I guess, watch out for if they become um, extremely surly, if they, if you're having like a, 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 if, you know, you're sitting at dinner and one of the kids seems kind of sad or depressed, or they, they just kind of refuse to talk, um, sleep disturbances and big changes in eating patterns, either not eating at all or, or gorging or eating junk food. Uh, and of course, you know, with teenagers, uh, especially as single parents, it's always a white knuckle ride. You know, you're always you're always having to scan. Your radar is always on because you don't want them to, you know, kind of suddenly get curious about um, drinking beer or smoking dope or you know, mm-hmm. like all the things that it, kids are exposed to. Now that they're at home, they, they're not. You know, they they don't have those direct influences. But um, you have to always be on guard uh, for those possible influences uh, with, with your kids as they get older. Sadly, that's just a fact of life. Hmm. I, uh, I, I was, I was thinking when, when you were saying some of that, um, you know, teenagers are, are tough anyways. And it's really, it's really hard for me as a parent to, to be able to tell what's sort of normal, like teenage angst or, you know, whatever versus what is caused by, uh, you know, depression or anxiety or, or anything like that. And I, I guess what are like, like my kids are still, they still see their therapist. They just do it online now versus in person, which it's kind of hit or miss with them because it's not quite the same right. thing. Um, it's not the same thing. Yeah. I, I like, like being in the same room with my, my therapist. Cause right. I, I see my therapist every Tuesday right. now, but, but right. it, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, there's, it's not the same as sitting in person. Yeah. There's nothing like sitting in person there. Yeah. You can read yeah. body language. Well, like I can read, I mean, my kids will struggle with body language, autism yeah. thing, but, but like I, I, I can read the body language. I can see the affect or listen to the affect. It's just, it just, there's that human connection that I think lacks right. when, when you're stuck behind a screen. Um, Absolutely. What are, uh, are, are there things that we can do to, and maybe we sort of went into this already, but sort of mitigate um, this acute level of stress uh, for mm-hmm. our kids and, and, and maybe are there tools that we can, we can provide our kids or teach them to help them better navigate this? Cause I mean, we have no idea how long this is going to, right. to go on or how often this is going to happen now and maybe a fact of right. life going forward. What kind of tools can we provide our kids to, to help them adapt to these sort of new normals, if that makes sense. Well, I, I don't like the term new normal because it implies that we have to habituate to pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. So I like to call it the new unreality okay. or the new surreality. Um, I think Jerry Brown called them wildfires in California, the new abnormal. 
but you know, I don't like the term normal because there really is no normal anyway. You know, the, if we're talking about routines, well, you're going to create new patterns, habits, and routines because they give you a few landmarks. You know, um, it's very difficult because you can't, uh, you can start talking about where you'd like to go on vacation, but you can't actually plan your vacation because you don't know when you're going to be able to leave or when you're going to be able to travel, or, you know, where, where you're going to be able to go. Uh, so, you know, planting seeds for the future um, mm -hmm. is always a good thing. Um, I, if you have kids, I like to suggest a happiness jar where you get a jar and you write, you know, happiness jar on the, stick it on the jar and leave a, leave some uh, papers, scrap paper in the jar with some pens. And every day, everybody has to write down one thing that makes you happy. And it can be something that happened that day. It could be something that's generic, uh, like your favorite ice cream or your favorite music or your favorite video game. But every day, you know, put, put, everybody has to put something that makes you happy in the happiness jar. And then, um, I would say every, every couple of weeks, you know, maybe on a Sunday in the afternoon, empty the happiness jar and everybody, you know, will go around and everybody will, you know, shake them up and everybody can read out a paper so that you can reinforce that even in this, this terrible time of, 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 devastation of what's going on around us that we can we can find moments to share happiness we can find moments to remember happiness because one of the things that that will help us manage stress and help our kids manage stress is remembering times uh, and moments and places where they felt happy and safe you know, all of our molecules are stored at, all of our emotions are stored as molecules. Mm -hmm. So when you hear your favorite music from a long time ago, or you smell turkey roasting, it takes you back to it when triggers. you first heard it. Right, it triggers. Yeah. And so you're creating positive triggers when you when you activate memories of happiness or safety or remembered wellness. And that is the best antidote to balance out these surges of unhealthy stress. That's a really good idea. And I, I have, uh, I have a jar in mind yeah. and I can have my kids decorate it, you know, and uh -huh. then every day we just, we write something positive, uh, that, that maybe occurred that day. So all that right. when we look back at the end of the week, you know, it's easy to remember all the negative things, it's sometimes harder right. to remember the positive things. And that exactly. gives you kind of an anchor. It kind of helps keep you grounded in, in, in reality. I, I like that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. You know, I think getting them, to, getting them to talk about, you know, one thing that they saw in the news or one thing that they heard or, you know, one thing that, you know, may have happened, you know, to a friend or to just, you know, something, something that pertains to why they're in lockdown or something that happened while they're in lockdown um, and ask them what stays with them. And then kind of, you know, again, you know, coach them and say, well, you know, this, this is this is a difficult time. But this is temporary and, you know, this is a cycle. And just like, you know, there's a, there, you get snow in the winter right now, you know, we're all dealing with the, with the unexpected, you know, these, the unexpected nature of this illness, mm -hmm. but things are going to open up and there will be, you know, there will be a time of recovery. And so it's important to, to know that this isn't forever and, and keep looking towards a positive future. Is it ever going to go away? Probably not for a long time. Will we have other periods of lockdown in the future? Probably. Um, you know, you, it's, we never go back. People say, when are we going back to normal? So you never go back. We you have to rebuild. Yeah. And, you know, just like, you know, with, with September 11th, we say, especially in New York, you'd say before 9-11, um, you know, during 9-11 and since 9-11. Mm -hmm. in, in the same way that this, the pandemic is, COVID-19 is a timestamp and your kids will say before COVID-19, this is what we did in lockdown. And then since, since COVID-19, and yeah. it's going to be a timestamp that alters our perception of reality going forward. And so how can you make it meaningful? I think is really the big picture question for all of us as parents. What can we do so that we can, we can have a more meaningful connection during this time that we can always build on it going forward. Now, 
when my mom was dying, my, my daughter was in, I think, college or grad school. And uh, or she was in college. And um, she was, um, she, she, she was grad school. And she, she was very upset when she came and she saw grandma in the hospital and grandma was dying. And she said to me, you know, mom, this isn't fun. And I said, well, guess what, honey? Life isn't fun. And it's not always fun. But everybody dies, and most people hopefully live long enough so that they get sick and die. And what you're seeing here is very important because what you're seeing is that our family comes together when somebody is sick and dying, and we do the best for the person who needs us. A lot of families default to rabid dysfunction Mm -hmm. where they start dividing up the person's assets while they're still lying in bed. And I said, so So what you're seeing is that your family is strong and that we're there for each other when there's a real need. And we may not be the happily ever after everybody, you know, has a reunion and goes to Disney World every summer type of family. But when things when they, when things get bad and when somebody is in pain and suffering, your family will be there. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to take from this. And I think that that's the most important thing that we as parents can give our kids is the knowledge and belief that whatever happens, we'll be there for them, we'll be there for each other. And this is the great gift that we can take moving forward from this time in our lives. Well, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, oh, thank you. I, oh. we, we've been through a lot of loss uh, recently. I lost both of my um, remaining grandparents in the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, thank you. And my, my kids have really struggled with that. Um, as, as have I, and you know, it is, I've tried to highlight rather than focus on the fact that they're gone. I tried to focus on, you know, well, the time that they were, you know, they moved into town, uh, to be closer to family so we could help take care of them. We got to spend an amazing amount of time with my grandparents before they passed. And that that's an opportunity that we would never have had. You know, we got to listen to stories and things like that. And so highlighting kind of a silver lining kind of thing, you know, it helps me um, sort of hit and miss with my kids because they're very kind of black mm-hmm. and white on everything. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I do, I, I like that approach. You know, we just, I, and I really like the happiness jar. I'm definitely going to do that. Um, do you, do you foresee, well, I guess what kind of long-term emotional issues do you think that we're going to see coming, coming out of this? Or do you think there's not going to be, or? Well, you know, this is a sad fact that, um, and it didn't get a lot of uh, airtime, but last June, June is post-traumatic stress awareness month. And last June, the National Institute of Health declared PTSD to be a national epidemic, a mental health epidemic. 44 million Americans, of whom only about 6 million are veterans. So that's, you know, that's like almost 40,000, 40, almost, almost 40 million civilian Americans, 39 million civilian Americans were reported to be struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's the tip of the iceberg because most people don't even know that they have post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was before this happened. So unfortunately, um, this is going to, uh, I think the, the, this is going to become a pandemic of post-traumatic stress disorder because we, we will be, um, you know, we'll be a traumatized population mm-hmm. uh, when this starts to fade. Flashbacks, anxiety, um, and, you know, wanting to avoid, you know, a lot of people will develop germ phobias. I remember after September 11th, I had a young man who came to start seeing me when he was 11 years old and he developed a germ phobia because of the anthrax scare. Oh, and he yeah. was afraid to, he was afraid to eat in the school cafeteria. He's now a nurse. I mean, he became a, an EMT, uh, over the years. Uh, I was very, you know, very proud of the work that he did, you know, to, to overcome that particular issue at that time. But you're going to see kids who are really, they become afraid of doctors, hospitals, illness, 
Uh, they become hypervigilant. If they hear, you know, on the news that there's, uh, you know, that COVID-19 is back, I think that, that you know, the anxiety levels uh, are probably going to have to be monitored very closely because they can lead to phobias. They can lead to, um, you know, a need to isolate because people are afraid of contagion. Uh, I think it's going to affect us as a society for a long time to come. And uh, people, people are going to have to learn new skills for functioning. Yeah. And it's an exhausting process. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It really is exhausting. And um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, and I meant to ask you earlier on, when you talked about basically 40 million civilians diagnosed or dealing with post-traumatic stress, I, I think I, well, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress years ago. Um, after I left the fire department and uh, being a medic, and and I guess I wanted to to just make sure that people understand, and then ask you what what you think. But is it sort of a relative experience? Like, is it two people can experience the same thing? One person can come out of it traumatized, and the other person can come out of it. Um, relatively unscathed if, if that makes sense is it sort of and it's I, not a weakness it's just how we perceive it well i you know i, th I think that you know being filled with a sense of helplessness and horror is a fairly you know quote-unquote normal reaction to a critical situation um and as i said you know even if you pass an accident or a near accident on the road you can be traumatized by by hours of watching disturbing images on, uh, on TV or online. Mm -hmm. So it's called vicarious trauma. Um, if, you are, if you are in the front lines, and even if your life was not personally threatened, but you dealt with, with a situation where somebody was in a horrible accident or you weren't able to save somebody, um, that, that exposure counts. It's the exposure that traumatizes people. And it doesn't always traumatize. As you said, sometimes it, it hits people differently. Mm -hmm. Some people are um, relatively unfazed. And certainly people in, in uh, the emergency services and first responders develop, or, or even journalists develop clinical skills to be able mm -hmm. to, um, you know, look, look for signs and indicators and symptoms that need to be treated. So, you know, if you, uh, if you go to a car accident and somebody's trapped in the car, you know, you're, you're probably, uh, you might, you might be disturbed by how mangled the car is, but you have a, a team and you have a, a structure and you know what to do in order to, you know, help, uh, help get the, get the person, uh, out of the car and onto a stretcher. So you have systems in place. But that doesn't mean that it isn't completely normal to uh, have difficulty sleeping that night or to have images or scenes that you can't get out of your mind. And there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of tools available and therapy tools to help people. I'm sure you've heard of eye movement repatterning. Um, I show people how to use uh, the emotional freedom technique, which is acupressure, which mm -hmm. is also something that's it's very good for kids where you tap on certain points that are acupuncture points and it relieves stress um, and it, it lowers uh, pain and anxiety and the feeling that you're unsafe in your own skin. Um, some people aren't bothered or don't seem to be bothered at all, but then you don't know when they go home if they're drinking too much or if they're using substances yeah. or, you know, if they're acting out, you know, sexually with their partners in some way. So I think it affects everybody. It's just how you acknowledge and cope with the reaction that makes the difference. Can, can you help us better understand how maybe we can have a more positive mindset uh, to sort of help get through this COVID-19 crisis without having it, you know, change us in a negative way? Well, as I said, you know, focus on a happiness jar and, um, you know, use it as a time to connect with your kids and Ask them what's on their mind, and you know, and, and uh, you know, use that as a way to to build a stronger family. Mm -hmm. I think that you know, if we really you know look at these times as they're kind of tests, they're they're tests for us. You know, they they test us spiritually, they test us as parents, they test our friendships, 
they show us, you know, like what's really important. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, to to emphasize to your kids, you know, situations like these um, help us to find out who we can really count on and we can count on each other. And that's worth more than money. Uh, years ago, I was in Argentina and uh, every Wednesday, the the mothers of uh, people, young people who were taken away by the secret police during a military dictatorship in the 1970s and 80s. The kids, uh, the, these young people, were, they, they were taken to torture centers and they disappeared. And they, they, there were thousands of them. I, free, I think it's like 10,000 disappeared in Argentina during that period. And every, every uh, Wednesday, they march in front of the presidential palace, even though it's like 30 years later now, they carry pictures of their kids. And I went to buy flowers for, uh, to give to the mothers of the disappeared. And the woman selling the flowers told me that I had given her the wrong change. So I'd given her change from Chile, which was the country next door. And I asked her, I said, well, would you like me to go to the pharmacy on the corner? I can get you change. And she gave me the coins back. And she said uh, something I've never forgotten. She said, sometimes in life, we lose things that are worth far more than money. And I think that this is a time that was really help us to focus on what's more important than money. You know, money is very important and we all need money to survive and to pay our bills. And there's no question that financial trauma is a, and there's a chapter on financial trauma in my book. Mm-hmm. Financial trauma is, is the, the dark side of any disaster that never gets spoken about. But in addition to financial trauma, what, what can we hold on to? that has nothing to do with money. We can hold on to our love for each other. We can be there for each other. We can, we can listen to each other when somebody's having a hard time. You know, we can give each other, you know, a gift of a joke. We can, you know, we can have a laugh together. Uh, we can take a walk together. All of these things are worth more than money. And this is a time when we can really build appreciation for those things that connect us and make us give us strength because we we do grow together um, through these kinds of experiences do you think that people will come out of this maybe appreciating life more than what they did before they went into it you know uh, appreciating the little things like family and connections and things like that I'd like to think that most people will and most people will find you know resilience and they'll find um, you know, people look back on this time and they'll say, wow, you know, uh, that was that was a time when we all had to we all got to have lunch together. Um, mm-hmm. Now everybody's so busy. You know, we, we don't have lunch together anymore. You know, this is a time when you might create like an evening ritual, like going for a walk after dinner or you know, everybody watches a comedy at night. And uh, and I think that whatever these rituals of connection are, uh, we will look back at this time as uh it, there, there were a lot of positive things that grew out of it, and I think that that's always important to keep in mind. That you know, sometimes through hardship and suffering, uh, we do get stronger in the broken places. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. That is uh, that is a fantastic final thought, and I am so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you. I'll have all of your information, your website, uh, a link to uh, your book uh, on Amazon. And all, all of all that Thank relevant you. stuff in your uh, in in the show notes below. And I I hope that you stay safe and stay healthy. And thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much. And uh, if at some time you would like to talk about uh, being a parent with autism, uh, I'd be very happy to talk about that. We can definitely do that. I'll I'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Before I close things out today, I just want to say thank you to Dr. Nadell for coming on the pod and talking to us about uh, stress and trauma and helping us better understand what many of us are dealing with. Sometimes it's harder to recognize uh, things when when you're the one kind of dealing with it. Um, and, and it takes someone to kind of shift your perspective a little bit and give you some insights to help you realize just how difficult a situation is and how that may be impacting you emotionally. So um, thank you very much, Dr. Nadell, for coming on the show. Uh, you can check out her book, The Five Gifts. It's on Amazon. I know that uh, because I have it on Kindle. I'm currently reading it. 
And uh, you can find her at lauriedell.com. I have links to all that stuff in the show notes below so you can check that out. You can find me at theautismdad.com. All my social links are at the top of the page. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm sometimes on Facebook now. Uh, send me a message from, from there or the blog and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I really try to uh, follow up with everybody who takes the time to reach out. So uh, there's that. You can subscribe to this podcast via any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. I don't have a preference which one. I just hope that you will hit that subscribe button. I really appreciate it. If you want to help support my efforts and keep this thing going, uh, there's a link in the description that will show you how to do that. So I appreciate your time, guys. Please stay safe and healthy. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to you next Friday. Thanks. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strength and connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U.com, and be sure to use the code THEAUTISMDAT at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.